You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, faithful scholars of Advanced Cowboys Footballology, to yet another edition of the Star Seminar, your team talk course led by. Yours truly, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and my compatriot, Dr. Danny Phantom. Dr. Phantom, how are you today, sir? I am doing okay, Rabs. Uh, I, myself, have been scrambling this week. It has been super busy, um, but I'm at a point now to where I'm starting to kind of being able to take a breath and relax, and uh, in fact, last night, I enjoyed just a kind of nice, calming evening watching television. I actually was watching the movie RoboCop. Um, you probably, I'm sure you know the movie. It's uh, absolutely you know, Peter Weller's. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. great, great, clever idea for a movie. I thought, you know, good, good, good story. You know, good late '80s type of movie. However, the movie I was watching actually wasn't that one. It was something done in the, within the last ten years, I believe. It was a, it was a remake. Uh, no opinion about the movie, but I just. Uh, I thought it was interesting, uh, even though I've seen the Robocop, I just, I, I was captivated by watching it. But I will say there are some movies out there that are, the remakes are just much better than the original and some, you know, don't measure up. But I wanted to ask you, cause I know you, uh, you're a big movie guy like myself. I want to know what your favorite r- movie remake is. Like, do you have a menu that I can choose from? I, because well, I can't think of any. I mean, some that jump out at me. I mean, like the thing, they remade the thing. You know that was that's one that was done. They did the remade the Planet of the Apes. I think mm-hmm. maybe, I don't I can't remember was that James Franco or somebody that was I, I don't know. But uh, I mean I'm not saying that those are good, but there's there's just a couple. I um, think it was, uh, it was it was Wahlberg, wasn't it? Was it Wahlberg? Mark Wahlberg, yes, Marky Mark. I think was oh, the uh, what was Franco? Was the yeah, it might have been Marky Mark. Yeah, that's no, it, it was Marky Mark. Yeah, but you know, like Psycho, they did it with uh, uh, Vince Vaughn. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, but I will tell. I want to tell you my favorite. I would. I do have like a quick honorable mention. I, I thought the remake of the Karate Kid with uh, Jackie Chan. I thought that was well done. I thought okay. it was a little, okay. little different. Right. Uh, and I I, 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 I found that to be very entertaining. I thought that was a good movie. But my favorite, and this is where you're going to be like, oh yeah, there is one. My favorite remake is Cape Fear. I. Ah. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's my favorite, but I, you're right, Rabs. There's not a lot of them. You know, they give it another go, and, and a lot of times it just doesn't love up. But uh, I will say, uh, I think was that Scorsese that did that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that remake, as as 
it was the case with the original didn't rely on special effects mm -hmm. etc for its for its emotional impact in fact in some ways its impact comes from the complete absence of effect right and the fact that it's just this this sort of claustrophobic environment with this very crazy uh, you know character played by De Niro who does a, as you said it's one of his most memorable roles and one of his uh, best roles I think um, in a career filled with roles that are you know that have you know they're characterized by intensity right it's one of the most intense roles and, and you know one of the things that De Niro is so famous for is uh, transforming his body uh, to to fit the dictates of the role mm -hmm. and boy did he do that with Cape Fear yeah, you know he yeah, was crazy sure. crazy ripped for that movie it was it was really really interesting yeah um Speaking of really interesting, my friend, we have... We got a remake coming up this Sunday. We have a remake coming up. We sure do, buddy. We sure do. And um, we have what I what I think may be the most important early season, like, you know, September, October, Cowboys regular season game since the tilt against the Seahawks, who are the reigning champions at that time in 2014. Uh, I think it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting battle between, I think, two teams that are certainly in the top five and I think could arguably be labeled as number one and number two in the league at this particular time. So it's going to be a doozy of a game. It's going to be really important. And we have a lot to talk about in terms of this game. Um, before we do, though, I, I was actually thinking about this, uh, you know, in the lead up to recording and in, you know, it's in the lead up to Sunday in general and thinking, this is really interesting in particular because it's a non-divisional game. It's, it feels like, you know, those divisional rivalries where you're always jockeying for position and trying to win a division crown and therefore get to the playoffs obviously are really important and powerful, you know, powerful uh, games. I think that no one would argue that, you know, our biggest rivals over the years have been the Eagles, but that's largely just because the Eagles are the only other team that's been good, right? There's a natural rivalry that, that shows up when you're fighting for a division championship every year. Right. Those special rivalries, though, are the ones where that isn't part of it, where there's a, there's, a, there's a sustained kind of rivalry across divisions or even across conferences, right? And so yeah, yeah. I I've been thinking about this, and I would love to hear you weigh in on this. Like, what are the, the, the top in your football-watching lifetime? What are the top non-division rivalries? Yeah, well, for starters, Rabs, and I mean, this is, this is just because of who you're asking – um, I mean, for me, San Francisco has been just a huge ri rival to the Cowboys and, and my fanhood since I started mm -hmm. following football. I mean, it mm -hmm. actually started happening before I was paying attention because they had some history going on in the 70s and stuff. But it just continued on. Of course, you know, I was real young when the catch happened and that was very upsetting to me. Uh, the catch. I'm sorry. I'm not following the catch. Oh, you. Oh, you mean the overthrow by the quarterback oh. whose arm wasn't strong enough to throw it out of the end zone? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right. I, I know that. I know that play. I always get that wrong. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I think they refer to it as the catch, but I think your description is more accurate. Um, I don't think they have a statue of uh, Montana overthrowing the ball. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean. But, you know, starting with that, and then of course into the '90s, which I felt like a lot of Cowboy fans, at least our age, had some great satisfaction, some redemption um, when that. You know, we we saw them like three straight times in the in the '90s, and I mean, I for for just like years, it's been those guys, and of course, you know, they've bounced us the last two years. So to me, there's there's nothing else like it. So I mean, they're, they're, they're the top dogs for me. I mean, these these teams. This will be the fortieth 
time that they faced each other, and they're both 19 mm. and 19. And one one of the things that you want in a rivalry is you need both teams. To be, it can't be one-sided. You need both teams to be good. So that's what you have here. That's it for me. I know. I mean, uh, Raiders and Steelers in the 70s, they were like met yep. like yep. five times in a row in playoffs. And I think the Raiders would probably be recognized as more of a powerful team had the Steelers not always been in their way. So that's always going to be a big one. And one, one though, Rabs, that I found kind of peculiar is actually is this is kind of cheating because technically they were rivals at one point. But I got the Titans and Ravens. They, they have a, mm-hmm. a, a pretty good history of, you know, they, they've been seeing each other in the postseason. And, uh, and, and they used to be, we're talking about, used to be the Browns and the Oilers. So they yep. used to be in the same division. Of course, they got moved around a little bit. And, um, but yeah, I mean, just in the last few years, they've met in the playoffs. And, and similar to the Cowboys Niners, they're even at 13 wins apiece. So I, I mean, so I think that's, that makes a, a good rival. Of course, that's only been the last 20 years or so since that, in their existence. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's my list. Who do you have? I have I have basically all the same ones. I think you you basically identified the, the the most important ones for you know certainly for old heads like ourselves. I'm not sure that the young bucks would recognize uh, Raiders Steelers in the same way that we that we do. Right. You know, but the, the Raiders and Steelers were just absolute powerhouses all through the 70s and into the 80s. Um, I, I think there's one that that uh, you know that characterized like the 2000s that we have to identify which is the colts and the patriots which is really Ooh, i mean yeah. in, in many ways in, in many ways was manning versus also Brady, right? so che- the, also cheating also cheating absolutely absolutely so it was the it was the good guys against the bad guys uh the good guys of course being the mannings and the bad guys being the brady's as always um but i think that that was a really really great rivalry they had they had some blowout regular season battles and some incredible playoff battles, many of which were in the AFC championship game. And there season after season, it felt like in the AFC, it was sort of inevitable that those were the two best teams. Every once in a while, the Steelers as well, but those are the, those are going to be the two best teams. And you knew one of those teams was going to be the Super Bowl. And unfortunately it was usually the Patriots, but uh, that was a really great rivalry and it lasted a long time. So that was great. And it was also really interesting because it in some ways extended to those Broncos Patriots games during the oh, last yeah. couple of years of last couple of years of, uh, of Patriots. Peyton Manning's career. So that's the only one I would add. I think, you know, I think there've been a couple of other good ones, you know, the Cowboys and Packers have had some good games over the years then with some, you know, important playoff games, both won by the Packers and, and the Cowboys. And I, th- I think both teams have reason to be bitter about, about their opponent in that rivalry. And then uh, I think the Packers and 49ers, you know, especially in the, since the, since the eighties and the, or the early nineties, rather, I think those two teams have had some really, really Im- interesting games and, and different iterations of those teams have, have, you know, played each other late in the playoffs. So that, that those are, those are the ones that really leap to mind. But I, th- I think that the takeaway here is that, it's really hard to argue, even if you're a fan of another team, that this isn't the most sustained, potent, like interdivision rivalry that exists in the history of this great, great sport. Yeah, I mean, and, and so, so someone's gonna someone's gonna win the rubber match, right? Someone's gonna unless they right. tie. That's right. Somebody's gonna somebody's gonna kind of eke ahead in the in the sort of lifetime standing. So I tell you what, buddy, let's get let's get to this particular game. Yeah. What are you what are you what are you thinking about in or what's the top of mind for you in terms of Sunday night's tilt between what looked to be like two really good teams? Honestly, I, I, I don't know where you were a week ago, 
you know, after the Arizona game. But I feel like, you know, some some new life has been, you know, put back into the Cowboys team. They're, they're kind of it's kind of been a little bit of a little bit of a roller coaster here. So mm-hmm. my confidence level, I, I mean, I'm willing to kind of look at that Arizona game as as the anomaly. And I mean, obviously, it it, it stands out as as such because the Cowboys have played so incredibly well in the other three. It's just so weird that they go from it's so contrasting, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. whereas San Francisco, I mean, I haven't been following them closely, but those guys are like consistently good week in and week out, consistently good and um, not dominant like the Cowboys have been, but at the same time, also not bad. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, I see two very good teams and it's, uh, it's make it to the point to where I honestly, I'm not really sure what to expect in this one. All right, so I'll tell you what, let's do this. Uh, since you brought in the, the Cardinals game, I think it's important that, that we kind of look at this in chunks. This is what Bill Parcells taught us to do, which is to look at the season as sort of four discrete, like four-week units. Now, obviously, with the 17-game schedule, you can't do that in quite such a neat way, but we, we can we can safely say that we're at the quarter pole now. And as we've talked about many times, that first month of the season is really the preseason. This is when the teams will start to start to get into shape, kind of work out a lot of the kinks. So the Cowboys have just completed their preseason. They're three and one. I don't think you can ask for a whole lot better than that. that that's what you hope for. You hope for that those those games where you're kind of figuring out who you are, that you don't end up you know losing enough of them that you end up being irrelevant. They didn't. As you, so there's a lot of information here after four games, and I think that it would be really interesting for us to look at that information and, and then sort of think, okay, given what we know, what's that going to, what's that going to mean for, for um, not only playing the 49ers now, but playing them when it matters. So let's, let's, let me ask you this question to, to kick things off. This is something that a lot of Cowboys uh, fans are going to be asking. What in the first four games have you seen that makes you think that quote unquote, this team is different. I believe that the Cowboys defense led by probably the most impressive pass rushing group I have seen in quite some time from this team is just so good across the board. I feel like they have a good starting defensive group with a handful of quality uh, depth guys sprinkled in, some of which have already been thrown into action because of some injuries but uh to me the defense i think they're on another level we we talked about how great they've been in the previous two seasons and how you know sustaining these things are just it's not you know it's not in the cards it's just not the odds are against them but if you look at where we are the way they play the, the how they go about attacking it's it it is sustainable because this team is so aggressive and quinn has these guys playing really well, and to, sometimes to, to a point to where, to a fault, and, and, and in some cases I thought we, that showed up in the Arizona game where they got bit by their own aggressiveness. But to me, why I think they're different is because this defense truly is special. Well, what, what about you? So two things. One, I, I don't know that we can eat. I think in some ways saying is this team different is a fool's errand because it's early. And we've seen the, the Cowboys. We saw in 2019, they sprinted out of the gate and were so set records for offensive efficiency and explosion in, in the first three weeks. And then ended up, you know, uh, in um, being, you know, out of the playoffs and, and ultimately having a really, really disappointing finish to the year. So 
you know, if we're going to be talking about what's different from this team, then that, that difference has to register in the postseason because they've had two incredibly successful regular season campaigns back to back. So I think the question always, as, as you, as, as it was posed and as we've, you know, as we sort of agreed, we'd, we'd frame this, um, it has to be characterized by how, how, how are they going to be different at the end? And so I really sort of feel like, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody can answer that. We don't know. But I will say that, well, let me actually, let me ask you this question. Are the Cowboys who, and I, I think I know the answer for given what you just said about the defense, are the Cowboys who they who they showed us to be in weeks one, two, and four, or the Cowboys who they showed us to be in week three? Well, it's a little bit of everything, but it's three quarters the other ones. <laughs> that's that's my answer. I mean, right, yeah, I mean, right. you can't forget like some of the issues that they're they're still going to have trouble in some of some areas. That's sure. not going to sure. not going to be go you know go away. But I do think we're going to see more of the strong uh, caliber play from this team. And, I think so too. I think I really feel like, in, I I feel like we're going to look back on on that game against against the Cardinals in you know mid November and go, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. When you look at this team, what do you see that could be same old same old? Well, I think so. We talked last last week about the things that went wrong against the Cardinals and whether or not we thought that they were things that could haunt them the rest of the season, or whether they were like a one off that we'll never see again. And one of the things I said that I think that can haunt them the rest of the season were the offensive line injuries. So, in the last two years, one of the things that's happened that, that it was a repeat performance was they lost the ability to move, to run the ball and create explosives late in the year, right? And so, offense had been explosive through the middle of the year and, and into up to Thanksgiving. And then suddenly something happened. And, you know, one year it was Terrence Steele went down another year, like it was Tyron Smith. Um, there've been various reasons for this, but the reality is that, that the offensive line has gotten dinged and they w- didn't have an answer. And so to me, it's because the offensive line largely not exclusively, but largely. And that's the, the, the one thing that I feel could lead us to stay up. Same old cowboy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know, I know that's your answer, and we, we kind of see things a little differently here. So I, I want to just spin this with another a, a quick question for you because we could talk about this for hours. But quick question: Do you believe in Mike McCarthy and calling the plays? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, do I believe in Mike McCarthy calling plays? Yeah, yeah, sure, I do, and I actually think Mike McCarthy's a better play sequencer. I don't think he's a better offensive mind necessarily than his predecessor, but I think he might be a better play sequencer than his predecessor, both over the course of a single game, but also over the course of a season. That's one of the areas where I think that they've also tailed off at the end of the year. And I think that's an area where we could see improvement, but we have to see it, right? We have to see it first. So then that brings me to my next question. This one's, I'm going to force you to a yes or no, because I I know we got more stuff to get onto, but so if if you're happy with McCarthy, then to me it's going to fall on the on the shoulders of another guy. So yes or no question: Will not can will Dak Prescott be good enough? Yes, but it might not matter. Good answer. It wasn't yes or no, but hey, that's fine. You get you a little explanation. But I'll tell you, it was yes, yes plus, yes plus, yes plus. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I, I'm you know if I can keep you to just five words, you know that's pretty impressive. So that's a victory, my so friend. So anyway, I want to know more about this uh, 49ers football team as we you know venture onto this new game, new uh, matchup. So I think it's time for a little Rabbles roundup. What do you think? I think so. Let's do it. 
It's time for Rabble's Roundup. So, uh, you, as you like to do, you like to always break down the spine of an NFL team. So, mm-hmm. breaking down the GM, you know, coaching staff, quarterback, you know, how how you've been doing every week for the last, uh, since during this, you know, new season. So, Let's start things off with uh, Mr. John Lynch. Why don't you give me a little background for 49ers and, uh, and Lynch? Yeah, I think before I do that, I just want to launch into to just sort of preface that by saying that, um, you know, in September, the news broke that Lynch and um, and their head coach, Kyle Shanahan, had both been granted contract extensions, much deserved contract extensions, because they've really been a great team the two of them and they've done a, a lot to, to resuscitate uh, a franchise that had been decl- in, in pretty precipitous decline after the Harbaugh years. So the two years before those guys took over, they were six and 10 and then two and 14. So they were, they were, they were taking over a team that was um, not particularly well run. And uh, I, I think it's always, it's always a gamble when you, when you bring a guy like Lynch in, I mean, you, the, the alternative or the, the very real possibility when you bring a guy like Lynch in is that you'll end up with the Mike Mayock route, right? Where he's a celebrity, yeah, he's a scout. Yeah, he knows talent, but he just doesn't have uh, what it takes to be a good GM to build a team to have to sort of adhere to a, to a coherent philosophy. And Mike Mayock was a disaster in Oakland hmm. or Las Vegas or both. And um, and I think a lot of people thought Lynch might be the same. That he was a sort of celebrity hire, and he's actually been really, really good. So. That said, his drafting has been a little bit of a mixed bag. The Niners have hit big on some on some late day picks. George Kittle, Fred Warner, guys like that. But they've also whipped on a, on a number of top 100 picks in recent years. Obviously, Trey Lance is the most recent example that we know a lot about because of the trade. But uh, other guys like Trey Sermon, who they traded up for, Aaron Banks is a guy they spent a second round pick on, who's who's been a kind of journeyman offensive lineman and not delivered. I think what they were hoping he would. They did have a high water mark in 2019. They had a great draft where they landed Nick Bosa, arguably the best pass rusher in the league, although I think we think our guy is better. They got Debo Samuel, who we'll talk about later. They got Drake Greenlaw, a linebacker the Cowboys actually liked a lot, but he's been a great running mate to Fred Warner. One of the things that Lynch has done also is he's been really he's been really flexible in his thinking. Uh, he made some poor draft picks on guys who are you know, could be labeled as finesse players early in his tenure in the Bay Area. Exhibit A was a speedy but spindly wide receiver, Dante Pettis. I think he was out of Washington. He was 6'1", 186, and he just wasn't a tough, wasn't a tough player. Uh, they sp- I think, and I, I think they actually spent a second round pick on him in 18. But then if you look at the next four wide receivers, the quarter, uh, excuse me, the uh, 49ers drafted were Debo Samuel, we just talked about, six foot. 215, thick guy. Jalen Hurd, 6'5, 229. Brandon Ayuk, 6'2, 200. Juwan Jennings, 6'3, 212. So there's a type. They're starting to get bigger guys. And Lynch actually was interviewed about this. And he said some of our early picks didn't pan out. And you so you have to ask yourself, why? Why didn't they work out? And then there's probably a rebound effect. So so now we're going to go get thick, strong, tough players. And that's when they really that's what they really started to do. And I think that, that starts up front. So the 49ers. Following in, in many respects what they did in the Harbaugh years, uh, have spent a lot of draft capital on offensive linemen, but especially on defensive linemen. They've drafted at least one defensive lineman in five of the last six drafts that, that Lynch and Shanahan have, have been in charge of. They use their first selection on a defensive lineman in four of those drafts. And so one of the things that Lynch has talked about, he said, in this day and age of offensive football, the equalizer is to have a dominant defensive line. That's what they've tried to do, and that's what they have. And I think that, you know, that, that's how they can get away with a guy like Brock Purdy, who I think we'll talk about later as, as part of that, that's that team spine. Um, when you have a journeyman quarterback like Brock Purdy, 
The equalizer then when you're going up against better quarterbacks like Dak Prescott is that your defensive line is so, is so, so dominant. Um, I think the other thing that has to be noted about, about Lynch is that he spent draft capital to acquire a couple of really, really key blue chip veterans who make their offensive offense work and Trent Williams, who I think is probably the league's best left tackle and dynamic do everything back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I honestly, at a there was a point where I just felt like, I mean, it was pretty clear the 49ers were, were drafting good players, but there was also a time where they're picking a lot of early, you know, top at the beginning of the draft type of um, choices. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, you're going to, you know, you're going to land some good players there. But yeah, I totally agree. I think they've done a really good job. And and even, even the McCafferty trade, I was kind of like, hmm, you know what, you're going to learn a lesson. Like, you know, you over-invest in, running back position you know you're not you're not special it's not going to work out for you you know like it hasn't for a lot of these other teams and stuff but i really think you look at the kind of player he is and then what the kind of offense the niners have you know it it fits it fits so well so yeah they've been doing a great job you know building this roster definitely one of the stronger teams in the league uh for sure um but so let's move on to coaching um i you know one of Kyle Shanahan is one of my favorite coordinators, play callers uh, in the league, mm-hmm, next to mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel's, and of course uh, Kellen Moore. I'm a Kellen Moore guy, so I, I, to those guys, to me, I think they do a great job with the way that they design plays for their offense. And so, mm-hmm. let me know about, the, give me some information about the Cowboys um, with Shanahan and, and their offensive play calling. Yeah, so the you know, we, we, we look at the spine. I think it's really important to go from GM to head coach to offensive coordinator for the for the 49ers, For the most part, though, that's the same guy. They do have a a, a couple guys who have the the offensive coordinator role. One of whom I want to kind of call out is a guy named Clint Kubiak, who's the son of Gary Kubiak. So interestingly enough, you got Shanahan and Kubiak, who are a couple of NFL nepo babies. Their fathers worked together in Denver in the late 90s with the Elway Broncos, who won the Super Bowl twice with uh, Terrell Davis being the big the the lead dog there and Shanahan's offense is derived very strongly from the system his dad deployed with the Broncos uh, like his dad he loves to run outside zone he uses a lot of play action passes he wants to establish the run so that uh, to create space he wants to make those content and this is I think the real key and this is what's going to be really really challenging for the Cowboys defense uh, on Sunday night he wants to make those concepts look similar Mm -hmm. 
and then basically what he does is he changes which players go where and how wide they split out, but he uses a lot of the same guys and a lot of the same looks. And I, and I think the, the, the run and the pass action looks the same at the beginning of plays. That's what's really tough. You can't make a decision immediately based upon where your, what your keys are doing because oftentimes they're doing the same thing. So, and, and the other thing he does really well is he sequences plays beautifully. Like last year, he talked to reporters. He, Kyle Shanahan, talked to reporters and said that they're successful largely because of how he ties plays together rather than the types of plays he uses. You and I have talked about this before. Kellen Moore, brilliant, brilliant offensive mind, arguably the best offensive mind in the league. But one of the things he doesn't do is he has a collection of plays. He doesn't necessarily have a system where things are, things are cohesive uh, and and then that may that may hurt him later in the year. I think one of the the the, the kind of counter arguments to, to to his way of doing things is Shanahan, where everything looks the same. One of the things he's added to what his dad did is he's got a lot more pre-step motion. He's, he does a lot more condensed formations that are really a lot harder to 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 scheme against. And the thing about because of those condensed formations, which McCarthy's actually brought to the Cowboys offense this year, is that um, it allows you to to use more of the field. It, it allows more confusion. It allows you to actually spread things uh, horizontally. So he builds menus of plays with endless variations. So the same bunch formation could yield dozens of options, depending on which players stand where in the bunch. So the defense says the same thing, sees the same thing, but doesn't have any idea what's happening because all kinds of different things could happen depending on who's, de- who's deployed in the same in the same formation so the thing about that is it makes it hard to defend but easy to coach because the guys don't his offensive guys don't have to learn as much so he's got a lot of flexibility a lot of ability to exploit mismatches but he keeps the teaching of the offense simple and consistent the overall menu doesn't change a lot over the course of a season but what he chooses for any given week can vary greatly so uh, one of his players have said that they install roughly 60% of the plays every single week, which means there's 40, it's just over half, half the plays are things that they run every week, week to week. And so that's incredible. And it really reduces the amount of new information they have to digest. It, it means, it means that they're refreshing concepts they're familiar with, but uh, that sort of magic elixir. How do you have a bunch of concepts without, without a whole bunch of, of new stuff? And I think they, they managed to do that. And those week to week adjustments have powered one of the most unique rushing attacks mm-hmm. in the league. Yes. Uh, it's, it's gotten more challenging since they acquired CMC last October, but he adds more and more plays. Uh, he, he has since then. I think this, this is really interesting that, uh, you know, that um, sort of take advantage of this kind of interplay between McCaffrey, uh, who's probably the best re- receiving back in the league and Debo Samuel, a, a great, a, you know, a good receiver who also runs the ball. So they got two guys who are basically wide receiver running back hybrids mm-hmm. and they do all kinds of things with motion and jet sweeps and, and all kinds of stuff with those two guys. And if you're a, if you're a linebacker, I mean, the guys who are going to have their heads on a swivel, who are, who are, are going to be tasked to come up huge in this game are going to be Leighton Van Der Esch and Damone Clark, mm-hmm. because all that action is just built to, to confuse guys at that second level. It does, and we're really talking about the Cowboys linebackers um, here. So one of the things that happens then is that with all of that and, and such a good running game is it compresses things and it creates a lot of space, right? So, it, so he wants to get fast athletic guys, find space for them to operate. He does a great job of that, runs the ball, creates space. And with space comes Yak. Mm-hmm. They got a really fast team. They got a bunch of athletes. They got a bunch of interchangeable guys and they lead the league in Yak per reception. Um, they're actually 24th in the league in air yards per target, but ninth in the, in, in the league in yards wow, per target, which wow. means which means they're pushing the easy button for our friend Brock Purdy, who's completing a lot of short passes to guys who get open and then run like hell. And so um, 
that physical run game where you're everyone's creeping up because because you want to stop that uh it makes it really easy for for brock purdy yeah well you know speaking of which you know i mean the last piece of this spine not to say it's irrelevant but uh let's talk about mr irrelevant here what what is <laughs> what is mr brock purdy doing for this 49ers offense I, he's probably the most difficult quarterback to defend that Shanahan's had in his time here in San Francisco. Um, you know, I think that they thought Trey Lance would be. Obviously, that didn't work out. I think that um, that Purdy's actually a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of his skill set, but I think he's a better, more consistent version of Garoppolo. He actually, as a college player, was a very high variance guy. But um, one of the to, to Shanahan and his offensive staff's credit, he's he's been a much more consistent player as a pro. Listen, the dude's never going to have an elite arm, but he does throw accurately and with anticipation. Some people have con- compared him to Drew Brees. I think that's probably an unfair comparison at this point. But in terms of skill set and arm strength and size and things like that, I think I think that that's it's not you know totally out of the question. He has improved in throwing receivers open and throwing into tight windows. Is that that's the that's the throwing with anticipation. Um, He's been going downfield more this year. So even though what we just talked about in terms of yak, he's been a little bit more likely to choose his downfield spots, which is, which is good because if, if people are expecting, you know, a, a really horizontally based offense, you can, if you can hit him over the top, then they're going to open up and that's the space that the, that his yak monsters need, right? He's a little bit more willing to throw those 50, 50 balls and let his receivers go to work to get them, um, which I think helps when you have those big, thick, tough wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he still needs a little bit more, work on like being consistent play to play. He still is, as I said earlier, he's got a little bit of high variance player in him. Um, I think this is, this is the area where the Cowboys can really take advantage. He tends to bail on the pocket a little bit, which I think in such a structured system as Shanahan's can disrupt the system, disrupt the timing. It's such a timing based offense. The Cowboys can get him to, to, he wants to rely on his athleticism to get out of the pocket and buy time. He does a great job with that, but at the same time, then, you know, you have a system that's one, two, three, throw, you know, and if you can get him to disrupt that a little bit, everything, everything gets a little bit, a little bit gummed up. So I think that the Cowboys are going to need to get interior pressure, whether it's Parsons looping around, whether it's Parsons lined up over the guard or whether it's, you know, Mozzie Smith and, and Oso Digizua or Chauncey Golson or somebody. Um, I think because that can flush him out of the pocket. And if you can do that, I think you can do a lot to disrupt their offense. And that my friend, is Rebels Roundup. So listen, it's time now, of course, to transition to uh, our next segment, which is Phantoms 5. It's time for the Phantom 5. So you have prepared five delectable morsels for us to chew on as we get ready for this game, this tilt on Sunday night. Um, so let, why don't you just kick us off? Tell us what's the first key to this game in your, in your view, in your opinion. So my first key is sister Christian, how you must be stopped. And <laughs> I mean, I think we are all worried about uh, Christian McCaffrey and, and for good reason too. I mean, he's just, Absolutely killing it this year. He's the league's leading rusher. He's at 459 yards on the year, and I don't know who's second, but they're like a hundred, almost 100 yards behind him. Um, I can't remember offhand who the guy is. But uh, I do know that he's averaging 150 scrimmage yards per game. That is, I mean, that is incredible. 150 yards from this guy you're getting on a weekly basis is 
insane. He's already touched Paydirt six times. Uh, six offensive touchdowns, Rab. That's that's only two two less than what the Cowboys have all year. So, I mean, the guy mm-hmm. is phenomenal. He's he's getting a heavy. I mean, Shanahan, he's not, you know, he, I mean, he likes to spread it around, but he, he knows what he has with McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. The guy is getting 20 rushing attempts per game, and that's a heavy workload considering he's averaged 14 in each of his last two seasons. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we're going to expect a heavy dose of CMC in this one. Um, that's bad news for a, a – if you're worried about the Cowboys' run defense. They are technically ranked 27th in rushing yards efficiency. Uh, they give up 4.6 yards per carry. But I want to add um, a little context to this. If you – you know, obviously we know what happened in, in Arizona. That when They just ran mm-hmm. all over us, and then we gave up 7.4 yards per carry that game. But if you just take that game out, and they are only giving up 225 yards on 67 carries. That equates to about 3.4 yards per carry. So if we see the good version of this defense, Cowboys have a fighting chance to stop McCaffrey. And uh, you know, because CMC is not sneaking up on us. We know what what he's capable of. And it also, I just it's also worth noting that last year, you know, we saw him. This is not the first time. And he only had. 35 yards on 10 carries, which is 3.5 mm-hmm. yards per carry. So I'm just saying this, it could go bad, but it could also maybe not, not be so bad. So I like it. I think, I think that, um, I think the Cowboys are actually well constituted to deal with the athletes that San Francisco has. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think that it's an open question about whether they can deal with the system and, and all of the sort of eye candy that they're going to have to process really quickly. But I think in terms of the athletes, they're ready. And listen, I think I think if we believe that the team that this is is the teams we saw in weeks one, two, and four, then I think that they they have a reasonably good chance of stopping um, Sister Christian, as you so aptly put him. So what's what's item the second on Phantoms Five? Well, you know, it's weird that this is this is also very important too, is because it's it's all about the run. But you know, as you mentioned, um, Purdy is, you know, he's doing a very good job, and I I think people just keep waiting for that um the clock to strike 12 you know and and mm-hmm. him to turn into a pumpkin because he just, i mean people's expectations of him is just they just can't get get around him being this good but it t- I tell you what he he's having a great season he leads the league with the passer rating of 115.1 he's best in the nfl so the guy is getting it done so i mean you know people would view him as like a bust driving game manager which maybe you know that's fine and all but he's thrown for over a thousand yards on the year five touchdowns hasn't thrown a pick so the guy's doing a great job however he'll be facing a cowboys defense that is uh you know pretty good themselves i mean um they in fact have the league's best passer rating allowed with they're at 55.2 so here here you got um Cowboys top ranked passer rating defense versus Purdy leading the league. So something's going to give. Is are we going to finally be able to ground Brock Purdy, or is uh he is, is this quarterback going to be able to exploit a very good Cowboys defense? 
I mean, I, I think that's huge. Uh, we've got this sort of immovable object against the unstoppable force here, right? Um, I, I will say he's a bus. I think he, it's safe to say he's a bus driver for a really deluxe Madden yeah, cruiser. That's true. Yeah, it's a very yeah. Right, and so, so I think that the, the key really is can can Kyle Shanahan scheme easy button plays for him where. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it, it doesn't have to do anything outside of structure. He can hit, you know, he can hit Brandon, uh, not at Brandon, but Debo Samuel and, you know, in stride, um, you, you know, without being threatened by the pass rush and Debo can, can do something with it. How about the third item on Phantoms five? What do you got? I, might it have something to do with the front four of the 49ers? Yeah. I mean, so we, we talk a lot about how great the Cowboys defensive front is, but I tell you what, the Niners, they got some. They got some really good talent. I was looking through. They got some horses, they my do. friend. They do. They got and they got some really good talent. You know, with uh, obviously with their superstars Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead, who who are both getting paid. But I mean, you look around and they have mm -hmm. uh, Javon Kinlaw, who's in the final year of a rookie deal. They signed the low cost free agent um, Cleland Farrell, which uh, you may remember him, yeah. like the fourth overall pick a few years ago from Clemson, one of those big Clemson mm -hmm. guys that uh, came out of college. And they also got one of. One of the guys I was intrigued in studying the draft is a young edge rusher, Drake Jackson, who they got yep. in the second round of last year, who just so happens to be tied um, with uh, tied in the team with three sacks. So you know the 49ers, they got a good front, but they they don't have the pre they don't pressure the the quarterback as much as the Cowboys do, but they also don't blitz as much as the Cowboys do. So the they do a really good job. The Niners do a good job with, with doing more with less. So that what that does is you're going to leave, you know, the back seven and a lot of those guys, and they got a lot of super talent with Warner and and uh, Greenlaw and, and just like Talano Hufanga and just so many talented uh, uh, players in the backfield. And the Cowboys are going to have to try to find creases in there. And you know, we saw what happened last year in the playoffs when the Cowboys tried to do that. It was it was virtually impossible to, to, to find space. So Niners very crafty in that they're, they don't need to bring the house to get after you and they're going to take advantage of, and, and trust their guys on the back end to make plays. So uh, that is uh, something I am concerned about. I, I think that it's a very legitimate concern and the Cowboys offensive line is going to have to play their best game of the year. As you said, uh, the, the 49ers use a four-man rush a lot. In fact, 77% of the time, which is ninth in the NFL, they, they rely on just four men. And then that's something a little bit different. So they have a new defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, who came over from Carolina um, uh, to replace the departing D'Amico Ryans. So D'Amico Ryans was a little bit more aggressive. And I think, you know, Wilkes has come under a little bit of fire, especially from the 49ers fan base, for being a little too soft and running too much zone. His defense is in zone two-thirds of the time, basically. Uh, he doesn't blitz much, 22%, um, which is down from from Ryan's percentage, et cetera. As you were saying, that's because his front four can generate pressure. But I also think that's because he needs to protect his his secondary. Like his secondary, you you, you mentioned they have um, uh, was it Halafunga? Uh, what's his name? Halafunga. Uh, yeah, Hafunga, thank you. Um, and I think he's a, he's a he's a good player. But like if you look at their corners, these guys can be had. They're number one. They're number one corner it's ex-cowboy and ex-chief Trevarius ward right so um <laughs> like if if the cowboys can hold up and, and buy time they they can find space and they can they can they can do some damage yeah um so that, that that's a i think that's that's a huge it's a huge key so uh what are the other keys to the game what's number four i'm a little bit worried the cowboys can be victimized by these big plays i mean we saw garrett wilson take off 
for 68 mm-hmm. yards. Michael Wilson got loose as people just totally forgot to cover him for a big 69-yarder. Rondell Mar- Moore took off 45 yards. Joshua mm-hmm. Dobbs, 44. Even Demario Douglas, who I didn't even know who that guy was until last week, 42-yard big play. So the Cowboys' defense can get hit by a big play. And I really think that the Cowboys, you know, they, they can play great defense for like 98% of the time. But then just, you know, the, the small those small moments where something will come up and it will be costly. I'm worried about that because you got playmakers on there. You would CMC we talked about. Debo's a big-time playmaker. Ayuk's a big-time playmaker, I mean. So I am worried about the Cowboys giving one of these one of these 49er weapons to gets loose, breaks one tackle here or there, takes an angle here or there, and then boom, you got a big play. It could seem like things are going great, but then one little misstep and they could be in trouble. Yeah, I think that's right. But I also think that um, that's the way it works in the NFL. Like, like they're gonna they're gonna get big plays. The question is how many. To me, it's just when you're looking at a very evenly matched game, and I think it, it, I just I've seen too many times where the Cowboys can feel like. And the Jets was a good example, even though you know it ultimately didn't turn out to be close. It just had like a total dominance. Cowboys were dominating, but then there was just one little small window where you thought that we yeah. might have ourselves a game again. And it came basically, you know, with the, right after the Garrett Wilson big play. So it's like, I feel like that could just kind of take the air out of, like, they may be controlling things, and all of a sudden the Niners get them. And then, uh, and then they're right back in it, and now we got we have ourselves, you know, a dogfight. Yeah, I think I think the key really then is, I don't know how realistic it is to, 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 to limit the, or to delimit the, the, the Niners big plays. They're going to get big plays. The key is that the Cowboys offense also has to get big. Well, plays. now you're asking you're, a lot. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like if you're, if you're going to drive 13 plays every drive and they're going to drive six plays every drive, eventually you're going to be stopped more easily than they are. And that's when you're going to run into trouble. So I think that, I think we have to match them big play for big play and we'll be fine. Yeah. So speaking of fine, what's the final and finest of the Phantom Five. Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about this a little bit already. You know, this Cowboys and Niners, you know, they have a long history against each other. You know, the Cowboys dominated in the 70s, and the 49ers returned the favor in the 80s, and then, of course, they kind of took turns uh, beating up each other in the 90s. Of course, Cowboys technically got the better end of that, just just saying. Anyway, but 20 years since, you know, 2001, it's really been the Cowboys. They, They have... Gotten the better of them winning seven of nine against the 49ers mm-hmm. in the last you know, 20 years. However, the Niners, as we know, have uh, won when it's counted as they beat us in each of the last two years in the playoffs. But this will mark the 40th time these teams will have played each other, both of them winning 19 apiece. They tied once, and the winner of this game will be the first team to get to 20. So, Rabs, who's going to get to 21st? Can you give me a score prediction? Ooh. Dude, this is a tough one. Yeah. This is a tough You gotta one. do it. Come on, you gotta do it. Uh okay. Um I tell you what. I, I I'm gonna go I'm gonna rely on, on what I said at the beginning of the podcast, which is that this feels a lot like going into Seattle and playing against the uh, the reigning champion Seahawks in 2014. I'm gonna pick the same score that they won by then. I'm gonna say Cowboys 30, 49ers 20. Ooh, wow! Honestly, I did not think that's the direction you were gonna go, um, but I'm glad to hear that because uh, I know you are a very sound, you know, thinker. You're not, you know, you, you you're very good about putting 
emotions aside. And it, the fact that you're picking the Cowboys, you know, in this game um, makes me feel happy. Uh, but what won't make our listeners feel happy is that I do not have the Cowboys winning this one. I am going to, <laughs> I got, San, it's, I think it's going to be a close one. I got San Francisco 24 to 20. I think the Cowboys have one last chance to, they're going to need to, they're need, going to need to get in the end zone to win it. And I think they fall short. Uh, I just think that this is going to be uh, just a really tough, I mean, the Niners, we, we all know they're legit and it's going to be a tough one, but that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please just subscribe to the Long Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you'd like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, some matchups you're looking forward to, or what is your favorite movie remake, uh, let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at DannyVanum24. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Joe Montana was trying to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs>